Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. to episode 10 of Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I'm joined, as always, by the battle to my ship, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you today? I'm so good. Um, I am so thrilled to be doing this particular episode because of just the historical significance and the memories that get generated from the types of things that we're going to be discussing today. I'm super thrilled. Yeah, we are going to talk about board games. Now, there, there were some some pretty significant board games that came out in the 80s, and that's you know the the kind of the basis of the show is our love for 80s nostalgia. But I I think it's I don't think it's too far outside of the uh, parameters of you know what we discussed, and hopefully people won't get upset about it. But you know <laughs> us being not strictly in the 80s, but there are so many games that were so important to us as kids in the 80s that even most of them still exist now. But that, you know, they may have been made in the 60s or whatever, but they were just staples. So yeah. we're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about some that were specifically made in the 80s. Uh, so, yeah, we thought this would be a fun one. And, and just another clarification, this is like board game type stuff. We will absolutely cover Dungeons & Dragons at some point. Uh, <laughs> not a uh, Not a board game, but... You know, obviously a classic and a staple from the 80s, but we will get to D and D on its own. This is more strictly, you know, your your regular board games. Uh, so I thought, Brad, I thought we would start. Um, actually, first, is there anything going on? Anything you want to talk about? Other than the north of, well, parts of California is burning right now. Um, mm-hmm. We're kind of nicely pocketed still in San Diego. Not we're dealing with what I what we what I would consider a heat wave now. Uh, that August dry heat has finally hit us. But other than that, you know, we are living large and living our best lives here in San Diego. I'm biking as much as I can, trying to get out and and enjoy the lovely days that we have here before the clocks switch back on us and everything goes sideways. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Um, I actually went to a comic book show this morning. I I just got back uh, and it's it's one of those things where I was like, okay, how are they going to do this? Are they going to. You know, because they're like, we're strictly enforcing um, only X amount of people. Once we're at capacity, it's one in, one out. Masks are mandatory. You're not going to wear a mask. You're going to get kicked out. Um, You know, limited capacity. They've, it's in a hockey arena, so they've, uh, they sold less tables to make more space in between the tables and things like that. So I was like, okay, I really want to support this show because this is the third year they've been doing it. It's usually in April. Uh, I've really... One thing I really love about it, it's called Little Giant uh, Comic Book Show. I think Little Giant is, a, is an actual comic book store, but if, you, if anybody wants to look it up. Uh, they, what they do is they say this is comic books and comic book creators only. There's no toys here. There's no magic. To, and I love all that stuff. I, I, yeah, of course. I collect toys. I play magic. I, I love all that. But they said it's it's strictly comic books. It's com- and then for guests, we'll have artists and writers and everything like that. Wow. And I kind of like that because it's um keeping it pure to the written and the writer form as opposed to all the other. I mean, the other ones are fantastic, but there's a lot. But I think keeping it right on the specific product. And yes. the right to create it. That's kind of neat. That kind of keeps you focused. So, and also probably keeps your spending down a little bit more as well. Yeah, because at this point, I'm I I don't really buy new books every month. I will buy some digital books. Uh, I'm focused on trying to complete my Conan collection. And then now that that's nearly done, I've shifted gears and I'm trying to fill in the holes for the first three Moon Knight series nice. and uh, G.I. Joe, the later issues, which I from where I stopped collecting. So so I had very specific goals. Um, but I, I like that it's that it's comic book focused because over the years going to big conventions and stuff, especially Dragon Con, which I've been going to since 1999, just seeing comic dealers just slowly dwindle away. Except I will say last year there were a ton of comic dealers, and I actually remarked to one of the, the dealers, man, there's a lot of comic dealers this year. And the woman told me that Dragon Con had actively recruited right. comic 
so that was nice to see. But anyway, I was I went. Um, they had hand washings, mandatory hand washing stations before you went in. Sure. They had people everywhere, like in like bright orange shirts, like making sure everyone's wearing wearing masks. Um, uh-huh. It was it was all spread out. Any of the booths that were busy, I just kind of kept moving, and I would go and paw through some back issue bins and you know ones ones that weren't being um, quite as crowded. So. Overall, I felt just as safe as like if I go to the grocery store or anything like that. So I, I felt like it was done well. So I was glad to see that, and I I wanted to support the show anyway because because right. I do like how they do it. So um, uh, I was able to pick up. I I went in only needing four issues of Conan, and I was able to pick up one of them. Um, Look at you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm definitely. Well, seeing then on the deal on the end. That's great. Yeah, and Moon Knight. I, I guess Moon Knight's a hot book. I think there's a lot of buzz because I, th- you know, I think he might get his own series or something like that. So some of those were a little more than I wanted to pay, so I, I left them. But I did pick up a, a pretty good chunk. And one of the dealers had my absolute favorite thing in the world: quarter bin, just like old raggedy comics, like from the '80s. I picked yeah. up. Um, did you ever read the Dragonlance comics based on? I remember D&D? them, but I didn't actively collect or read those. No. I, I didn't either, but in the quarter bin, I found a chunk, like a run of like twelve consecutive issues. Oh wow! So I'm like, I'm like done. I'll I'll yeah. pick it up if it's if it's any good. I'll go back and seek out the others. But um, sure. yeah, so it was just a it was fun. I I had a really good time uh, and was able to pick up some things I needed. So that was that was nice, and it felt you know aside from everybody wearing masks and everything, it felt like right. kind of a a normal activity. So well, what's neat with that too is because you know in this I hate the term new normal, but how organized because all I know from what I'm from at least here in San Diego, we have a lot of restaurants have now done the outdoor dining setups because the indoor yeah. thing, they can't have that. You know, stores, certain stores like Trader Joe's has certain amount of uh, customers in and out at the same point. Everyone's got to have masks, minimize human contact and interactions, that sort of thing. But it, for a comic book thing, that's really cool to see how quickly they've adapted uh, the rules to, like you said, have fewer vendors, everyone masked, having proctors moving around to make sure the flow of traffic isn't, isn't um, you know, log jamming anywhere. That's that's good because that's I think that's what we need in society. But it's also good to know that the rules have now kind of expanded to the hobby and the, and the collecting world to be able to, you know, have those continue, but with all the absolute amount of uh, security parameters uh, in, in, enacted. So. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It, I I felt like they did a really good job. So so that was nice to see. So great. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's talk about some board games. Um, I thought we would get. Let's just get the the big. Let's get the big dog that everyone's played. Let's just get it out of the way. Uh, Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly. Everybody grows up playing Monopoly. Um, although it's funny, I don't like we we're, we're a gaming household and we've had, you know. European style board games and things like that since before my kids were born. So if my kids have played Monopoly, it was maybe like with cousins at camp or something like that because we – the only Monopoly we own in our house is Star Wars Monopoly. And I don't even think we've played that, so maybe maybe it is – I mean I still see it for sale, so I mean it's probably not going away, but maybe as a – family tradition, it would be interesting to know if if that's kind of dying out. But I mean I'm sure you guys played Monopoly growing up. We had, and it's funny, when we decided to do this, and I, and one of the regrets that I actually have uh, when we were selling my, my childhood home in Maine, you know, after my dad passed away, was we, we kind of bulk offloaded a lot of stuff to auction inside the household. And a lot of my childhood stuff, including a lot of the board games, all migrated, you know, as I moved further and further away from Maine, all my stuff still remained upstairs in the attic. So I look back. Uh, with fondness, but also a bit of sadness, because I remember how stacked up some of the wooden shelves my dad built that had all the board games that I was no longer playing. One of which was Monopoly. There was Sorry. There was the Game of Life. There was a, a handful of the you know Parker Brothers, Milton Bradley ones that had just migrated up there. And I look back, and it's like I miss not having some of those games. And yes, I know you can pick them up at yard sales. You can pick them up on eBay. But some of the vintage ones, the older, the older ones, the original versions of those, and I was as I was, as I was poking around on eBay, looking at some of the prices of the original versions, the original releases of those from um, back at least when we could get them in the 80s, they're going for high prices if if they're in in good condition or near mint condition. So I I do I do miss a big chunk of my childhood in re- in that respect because i you know the fondness of the 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 big board games that we played in my household yeah yeah monopoly 
was one that we did play at my house. Not a ton. Uh, I do remember more playing with my cousins, uh, you know, during the summer and stuff like that. I think, um, and I mean, I mean, this is not a stretch here to, to because of the, it's part of the whole reason we do this show. But you and I are very, you know, nostalgia driven. And I'm sure that you're like me, where if you if you were trying to purchase a like an 80s or, or late 70s or, you know, whatever Monopoly set that you owned, you want that set because you want the pieces. You want the, yes. you know, the, that race car, that dog. Yes. You want those, and that's how I am too. I don't want oh, totally. a, a new a new monopoly with whatever comes in there now. I want, you know, the the wheelbarrow and all, you know, yes. the guy on the horse. I the want top hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Top it's, hat, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I think some of the later versions. I mean, obviously, the, it sounds like the ones that, I mean, at least the one that I played had like the original pieces that you just mentioned. But I know subsequent releases and versions have come up with variations. There have been movie theme variations, TV show variations on that. Oh, there's a thousand properly variations. And I like the distinct nature of what we grew up with. You know, it's nice to have those supplementary ones that exist, but it's always nice to reflect and look back at the original little aluminum or metal pieces moving around the board versus the plastic ones that they probably have nowadays to, you know, to save on weight and, and cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's one that, you know, I, I think it's one of those things I think everybody's played. Um, and there's a handful of ones that are like that. I think uh, I think Yahtzee's probably in there. The Yahtzee's Yahtzee. definitely in there. Yeah. And um, that's one that's one that still I know exists. And it's so easy because you don't you if you know what the categories are, you don't even need to own the stupid pads and the regular dice. You just need five dice and scrap paper. <laughs> so, um, but um, but like that was one, you know, my my family and I'll play that if it's if we like that's good on a plane. Like that's yeah. something you can do on a, on a plane because right. you're you know, as long as you don't drop one of the dice and one of the <laughs> and it yeah, goes, right. then it goes under the seat and it's that yeah, whole yeah. thing. <laughs> but um but that was one we played a lot when I was a kid. That's one of those standard ones, um, you know. And then, then there's a lot of the other ones. But um, yeah, maybe we'll just bounce back and forth. Are there what, what are some of the other ones that were important ones to you and in, in the that you played a lot? Two that I played one more so, but um, where Clue was an interesting one. Clue yeah. was unique. It wasn't a I mean, again, you're dealing with a murder, basically. And <laughs> right, it's right. Unusual that looking back as you think of it, like my God, Colonel Mustard, you know, killed so and so with a with a you know a torque wrench. <laughs> yeah, uh, just in, brutally in, bludgeoned this person right. to death. <laughs> and so, uh, but as a kid, you're thinking, oh, it's a you're you're it's a, you're solving a mystery, not necessarily right. murder. And right. looking back now, and like, wait, no, we were actually solving a, <laughs> a, a brutal murder. And then all these TV shows that now, like, you know, that are on, you know, true crime and all these ones about these violent things that it's someone known to uh, the person, uh, to the, uh, to the, the unsub is actually known to the person who was murdered. So Clue was a fun one, but one that I was thrilled that we got as a Christmas gift. It was a family Christmas gift, um, um, which is a slightly non-standard, but intellectual just the same was Trivial Pursuit. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that came in the 80s. That was a huge okay. game in the 80s. And that and that just opened doors because you know I you know and I, I it's funny you do learn a lot in school. There's no question about that as you as you go through the through the years and through the classes. But I learned a lot from watching TV and not just like action movie adventure shows and whatnot. But National Geographic was back on in the day, so there was a lot of content that applied to a lot of the questions that were asked in those boxes. And I remember kind of wowing, you know, family members as well as relatives whenever we would play this. Like, how would he know that? Like, how would he know that? What is what is the capital of Turkey? Well, like, I mean, ge- geography. And this was back before my mom was even into becoming a, a geographer. This was, you know, like I said, in the 80s. So there was a lot of stuff that you could pull as a kid reading National Geographic things because they covered all major areas from – Cinema, um, music, uh, geography, uh, politics, uh, historical and current figures. So it was relevant at the time. And I know there were subsequent other editions, which they you know expanded their line, which made it even more sure. cool because you can incorporate those question boxes in. Um, and then they had I remember getting in my stocking sometime in the late 80s. It was a music driven one. So that oh, obviously yeah. my right parents. Rally. Yeah knew from the early age that, you know, music was going to be a, a serious part of my life. Um, so the music one, and I just remember 
nailing the questions left, right, and center because, you know, you can pull that information off the cassette tapes we had back then. <laughs> right. What, and one of the questions that I will always remember, uh, what is the uh, what is the name of Boy George? And they give you, like, the four options. It was, you know, I think it was George O'Dowd was his real name. Yeah, yeah. And I nailed that. And I remember my cousins looking at me, how in the hell would you know <laughs> that answer? It's like paying attention. You know, you read the yeah. liner notes of the cassette tapes and you see who people are. So, yeah, that was, that was a, a really well-played uh, game that traveled back and forth from my our home in Skowhegan to our camp um, up in up in harmony so that one was definitely a, a family staple especially on the weekends it's it's funny that you say that about paying attention to stuff because i'm i am absolutely 100 percent the same when it comes to that i would read those liner notes on a yeah. cassette or or vinyl i would pay attention to the credits in a movie yes um all those things for whatever reason i absorbed and uh yeah same thing i was for trivial pursuit like even for you know young age or teenage or whatever i would always <laughs> do very well and i think it's just yeah. because for whatever reason i enjoyed gathering information and, right. and kind of remembering things like that and um uh, by the way, I believe the capital of Turkey is Ankara. Uh. <laughs> it was. And, is and it not anymore? <laughs> no, it is. It used to be okay. Constantinople back in the in the way back when. <laughs> yeah. But to, um, but but to your point, yeah, about looking at it now, the name Trivial Pursuit. When people say, "Oh, that's just trivial," it it's kind of has a negative connotation to it. But but for us as minds that were young and spongy and absorbing as much information as we could. You know, trivia kind of downplays it because there is a lot of information that if you pay attention, you're going to you're going to win certain categories of this game. You're going to get the pie slots to fill it out and you're going to make it towards the middle at the tail end. So, I mean, there there's a lot to be said about that game being fun and interactive and kind of challenging amongst the the various players, but also educational in the sense that you're also educating other players like, wow, he knows a lot about geography of Germany or he knows the Rhine river flows from there to there. I mean, it's, it's amazing the stuff. And I, and I give credit to the makers of that because that game came kind of out of nowhere and there's hadn't been anything like it in its time. Oh yeah. And it was just, you know, and I know how existed in my household clearly in yours and how in many other millions of households that were uh, actively engaged in the learning process that this game kind of allowed families to do. So, yeah, it's funny too, because you can, there are certain staples at, uh, at Goodwill, like you can go to any Goodwill in this country and find uh, certain things. Yeah. Uh, one of them being Trump the game, which um, <laughs> I which I feel like were purposely seeded around the country because right. it is like I I joked about and I may have even I've probably mentioned it on one of the podcasts that I do maybe maybe not this one but it it got to be a joke where I would see one like Trump the game in every right. Goodwill I went to but uh, but the but the eighties version of Trivial Pursuit you can find those easily at any Goodwill they're That's they're right. always yeah. there you Good. know it's one of those yeah. things cleaning out the attic taking yeah. to Goodwill um yeah no that was definitely one I ble- that one I don't think we had at my house but I think it was at my grandmother's so I remember right. I remember playing it a lot at my grandmother's um yeah those are those are two for sure that you mentioned that were um uh definitely staples uh and another one that was kind of a little different but i think people still had a lot and this is actually this connects to a memory i have with you and that's the game risk um risk is a game that i feel we didn't have it at my house but but i had friends that had it uh and so i did play it and and it's a little different from other stuff because it is you know from from the standard monopoly and and you know game of life and payday and all that Um, and I, I just remember that, um, you know, that weekend sleepover at your house when we were in high school, oh, we, yeah. I think we spent like the entire Sunday afternoon playing risk, which was, which was super fun. We, we got to a point, as I recall, of just being, you know, risked out. You know, we, we, <laughs> yeah, we played for hours. I, I think Andrew, Andrew Durkin was there, probably, probably Steve yeah. Kutcher. So it was, yeah. we had a small group of us that were playing and, and I, and I remember as when, when you had mentioned this as one of our talking point games that there was a feature in the game that we completely made up. It was called blurp 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 blurp. And that has no bearing in the game. It's not in the rules. It's something I think, and I was going to, I was going to text Andrew cause he, I'm sure he would remember what the reasoning behind blurp blurp was. 
it was either a joining of forces against a third party <laughs> um, or somehow making a visible backroom deal to the enemy, which is one of your other opponents. But that was a fun game. Again, uh, early an early strategy game. You know, a lot of the games that, that we've talked about already and as well as we will talk about, there's definitely strategy involved, but it's more so not really intellectual strategies. So a lot of the games, it's just like, you know, you got to get around the board, you got to hit the boggle in the middle, all, you know, and, and try to, you know, survive and try to, you know, monopoly, try to don't go bankrupt. Whereas Risk, there was, you know, inherent plotting, you know, which country do I want to be in Australia? Do I want to make it difficult for armies to get to me? Or do I want to be in Europe and defend on all fronts? But we know how the Germans did it in World War II. That didn't work out so well for them, so never start a war on two fronts. So there was a lot of historical things that tied into the playing of risk and it uh is not a quick game it's a it's a long game it's a you know and <laughs> and if you're making alliances it's even longer because that obviously you start to piss other players off and now they right. want to forge alliances with other friends so <laughs> well and it's funny because i'm looking it up because i was curious when it was when it was uh created it was actually released in 1957 all right uh, okay yeah, but but it's funny because on Wikipedia it has like you know players two to six setup time five to fifteen minutes playing time one to eight hours. Yes, that is right. <laughs> what an incredible range that is. <laughs> but it's accurate. Recall, it's accurate. Yeah, it's totally accurate. And I don't recall ever playing that game under three hours. There was there was no way you could do it. Yeah. No, that's true. It's it, the, but, the more the merrier. The more players that played that game, the oh, yeah. longer it went on for, and the more plotting and nefarious deals that were going on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting game because it clearly is a predecessor to other things that had come out. Like like I never played any of the real super strategy Avalon Hill games that were like okay. in the sixties and seventies, like Diplomacy yep. and stuff like those. Um, but those you know obviously came from risk risk being a very you know streamlined world com conquest and domination game but um I, that actually brings me to um another i think these came out in the 80s let me look real quick but it brings me to a series of games that milton bradley did uh they were like they're now they're called um they're called like their uh the milton bradley big box games but they had a um they were called the Game Master series. That okay. So okay. Axis and Allies. Yes. 1981. So it was wow. the 80s. I, I felt like that was when I was aware of it. So but that felt right. But um, that took risk kind of to yep. the next level. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that was one that I remember playing. Definitely later in high school when my like my I had a cousin that um, uh, was like second cousin or whatever whose husband was a gamer and and played things that were more in depth. Than right. the standard fare, and so he started to introduce us to stuff like Axis and Allies, and um, so the um, so it sounds like this is one that you you played. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. That was one that I had in the household, and I had it early on, but never played it. It's funny because I'm not sure if I couldn't entice any friends to engage. It looks overwhelming. It looks it like is overwhelming, and 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 sadly, having had it. It ended up at our camp, and not many people – I mean, yeah, friends would come by and pass through the camp, but that never – almost never came out. So it was played very minimally, and I just never – it never seemed to take. And that is kind of sad because that, that one, as you said, you know, it, it, a much more comprehensive extension than Risk because you're getting actual – not just numbered gaming pieces that we had with Risk. You're actually getting little – content pieces of armies and numbers and um there's factories there's manufacturing yeah, yeah. there's tons of stuff in it's that way game more in depth and and i think that slightly made it more of a deterrent and why it probably drove us to play with action figures because we were <laughs> mentally ready to play something that that in like as you said in depth because it was definitely in depth it was definitely going to be a game that requires you know knowing the rules and the processes and yeah, we understand the whole history of the Axis versus the allies, but to then actually apply the rules that they have laid out for you and, and try to put that in a board game. That was almost, I think intellectually above where we were at that time in the <laughs> early eighties. Hence why it sat and collected dust mostly for most of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. Uh, yeah, and then you also had to figure out. Um, I was like, I don't want to be the Nazis. So. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, how do we get around doing this? But, um, but that 
that game in itself, you know, definitely started to take strategy gaming, board gaming, that is, into different directions. And you just mentioned a few minutes ago, and this is um, a kind of a slight tie into the Avalon Hill games. I actually had a few Avalon Hill games growing up. Um, again, that didn't get a ton of play, but I know I kind of had multi multi exposure to them through a couple ways. One of them was um, my dad was an avid um, RC controller vehicle builder and also oh, a cool. model ship builder. So we I spent a lot of time with him looking in catalogs of you know how to get certain paints and products to you know kind of enhance the stuff he was he was creating and building. But we also, and I'm sure you remember this, and this, and these stores were kind of staples for us once we figured out what was going on gaming-wise. The hobby shops in Waterville, Maine, were locations that not only carried baseball cards, you know, uh, Citadel and uh, Ralpartha uh, miniatures, but they also had a ton of higher-end role-playing board games. And that's yeah. where I kind of got I, – I think I got into them earlier than – other friends did, even though some maybe their older brothers were playing these games, because my dad would take me with me because he had to get some of the the various paints that he could only get locally and not online at the time because online didn't exist. He had to order them through catalog or phone calls. So we would go to the local hobby shops and I would just he would be over in the paint section. I would be walking down the board gaming section, but they were games and I and I have a couple that I didn't really play, but I was always obsessed and wanted to get uh in my life um and they i'll just briefly mention them they were a panzer blitz again another who yeah. don't you don't want to be a nazi but <laughs> i'm just fascinated by the board game box that it came in um blitzkrieg another one nazi related i mean yep. they were very historicals yeah what yeah, they call historicals now and i also noticed at that point that i had an affinity i loved war movies as a kid so that's how that also kind of drove me to be more interested in some of the slightly more complex ones and i ended up getting a few of them not really playing them early on after purchase it was maybe four or five years later whence other things when D started to kick into our lives where i would kind of go back and say hey let's try to learn to play this game it's got good pieces the, it's a strategy game so the tie-in on that was just you know kind of a good timing piece i was visually aware of what was going on but mentally wasn't ready to play some of those games sure. and and but one one game that i did have that i'll mention um was another historical piece another war piece uh was gettysburg i don't know if you remember yeah. the name of that one that one was kind of cool you pick the sides north or south you know confederacy or union but an early another early early strategy game that i suddenly became obsessed with because I love the Civil War for learning purpose reasons, but I also love that the pieces that the games came with. And and that game came in a more non-standard box, not in the eight and a half by eleven box, but it was still like the long, long box Milton yeah. Bradley style. And it had the big gaming board of uh, of the Gettysburg um region of everything and and learning and all the so it, it it i think it bode well into the learning process it bode well into the historical process and just being kind of intrigued by a really in-depth war game that was fought domestically on our home soil sure sure the um the Avalon Hill games always intrigued me. I I probably saw them in um, – and it's funny. We Hopefully this won't be a tangent, but I did want to ask you. You mentioned the hobby shops in Waterville. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that you went to the one that was on the end in the JFK Mall. Yes, uh, that's, that's the initial yeah. one I was referring to. Yep. <laughs> we were trying to so hard to remember the name of that. My mom couldn't remember. I asked my stepdad. I think we finally did, and then I've already forgotten it. But, but – um, I just remember um, – I remember that place being yes. uh, like whenever – that that mall was amazing, that little strip mall. It was one of the first – like it was – it was Yeah. It was kind of indoors but kind of not. Imagine a strip mall, uh, but you do have to go into like a main – I don't even know what the – if there's a name for this specific type of mall. But it was like you went into like a main hallway, a large open hallway, and then yeah. the storefronts were inside. Yeah. So it wasn't what I think we think of as a strip mall today where it's like a you know a, a little – it's a building with like five or six stores and you just walk in the External front. External stores, yeah. Yeah. Um, this was this was like one of the first – and certainly you know in Maine it was one of the first ones I think that uh, – well, obviously that I was familiar with. But you would walk yeah. in and that place was a treasure trove as a kid yeah. because it had Mr. Paperback, which we've yep. – we've um 
Brad and I have talked, you know, in depth about how much we love that store, that mom and pop, um, you know, bookstore chain where I bought my first D and D and bought my comic books and bought all that. It had Action Family Arcade. Yes, it was a phenomenal arcade. Um, it had Lavertiers, which was a, a local main drugstore, and yep. I, I and I didn't know this. I I went down a rabbit hole trying to look into this stuff. Uh, Action Family Arcade, Lavertiers owned them. They were always together. And I, that I, makes sense because the one in our hometown, Skowhegan, yeah, had the one in the yep. back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, and Lavertiers, even though it was a drugstore back then, like drugstores were awesome. They had comic books. They had toys. Yeah. They had tons yeah. of stuff. So Lavertiers was awesome. There was a big pet store in there, although I remember yeah. that. I think that that maybe didn't last as long. There was um, and there was the uh, the hobby shop, which we mentioned, yeah. which had everything you can think of from model, you know, model cars, model trains, are the um, uh, the old AFX and Aurora racetrack cars, you know, the yes. uh, slot cars. Um, it had, you know, baseball cards. That place was awesome. And then on the end, it had a, a department store that's gone now, but that was always awesome, which was uh, Riches. Riches, um, yeah. So that I, I would, yeah, absolutely. Anytime, like my my parents needed to go there, it was like, yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, sorry, not too much. No, of that, no, that, that's that, because I was that I was hobby store was amazing. The arcade next to it was always a go-to because you would go yeah. browse through the, the the hobby shack. And look at all, you know, they had their baseball card display, which that helped me get into baseball cards and sports card collecting. They, but also down further on, on the long, tall um, bookshelves that they had, they also had dioramas. And I don't know if you remember those, yes. but they had oh, that's some right. military dioramas they that did. were. Yes. And, that, and those were the model dioramas. I'm not sure if the guy who owned it, because he was always so clean cut. He was a short fellow, but he I was very knowledgeable. Yeah. And. Yeah. And he had all these various World War Two and World War One dioramas yeah, that were like tanks and uh, tanks. like barbed wire and yeah and blown out buildings, well yeah. painted. Yeah. And I was always so enthralled, like oh my god. And then you would look to see where is that model set that he had built. And you know I tried my best along with my folks help to recreate some of those, and we had some mod- modest success <laughs> recreating those. But that was another amazing selling point because those models were just randomly placed throughout the model portions of the the store and you know opposite them and they were they had all the little the little like i don't know how what size figures um, miniature or ho scale or whatever the figures were but they had japanese civil war um british in Bataan, you know they yeah. had many and they were all imports i think from japan i think there's a company out of japan that specialized in making those types of models and those little types of little plastic figures that you could paint and whatnot. And yeah. I just remember building my little, little, little toy plastic figure. I mean, these were so detailed versus the larger ones you get at Lavertiers in the plastic yeah, yeah. bag of like the green action. Yeah, US the army men. Yeah. 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 We get like yeah. the, the, the little ones. So that was another great selling point that I really give them kudos for because you're looking at everything in on the shelves and you're there for one thing and suddenly now you're drawing your attention is drawn to you know these these models over here it's just a phenomenal resource and I remember when I got my license I was driving down there regularly and getting pizza at one of the that right it was like two doors down from yeah. hobby shop and um and the game arcade to uh, a little pizza joint that became a staple place to go to is a wow we're gonna get pizza and get some hobby shack stuff so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah sorry we're supposed to be talking no. about board games but no that's what that's what we do we <laughs> that's what a podcast that's, is for that's, baby that's it's what, memory lane all one, the way <laughs> this one especially um oh that's right i want to mention the avalon hill games they always intrigue me because i i early on uh thanks to my uncle mike uh began to appreciate games that were a little different uh, uh mostly in the sports genre mm-hmm. so he gave me um stratomatic baseball mm-hmm. and he also gave me uh status pro baseball that oh. was made by avalon hill oh, that wow. stratomatic i loved and i played a ton of stratomatic but i i uh, Status Pro by Avalon is by far my favorite sports simulation game. I I would play seasons with that thing by myself. Um, but in there, in the box, was all the you know the Avalon Hill catalog, and there was you know C yes. and Panzer Blitz and all these yep. other ones, and and they just intrigued me. But I was like, I don't know a who would play these with me, True. and b you know 
am I taking? Because whatever they cost, they probably weren't that much. They were probably like ten bucks or whatever. But that seemed they like were, a ton of money. Yeah, probably ten to fifteen bucks at max. Yeah. They had so many of those. And like I said, that's I, I'm glad you mentioned the catalog because I forgot about the catalog. But remember, piecing through every page, and they would have like the little descriptions about it, and you're like. Is this something I could play with friends? And then the the pictures were so cool, but I don't know if anyone's going to play this with me. Hence, right. that happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I want to touch on the uh, the rest of the Game Master series too from Milton Bradley. Yeah. I was not familiar with two of them until much later, until until I was an adult and started collecting board games again and went back. Um, uh, so Axis and Allies, I guess, came out in 81, but they, they made the Game Master series starting in 84, and Axis and Allies was the first one along with uh, Conquest of the Empire, which I, I know nothing about, and then Broadsides and Boarding Parties. Ooh. So I, I have a friend that has this game. If I had known this existed, I would have absolutely bought it because it, it's a pirate game. Okay, and I, I was going to say, it's definitely a seafaring game. <laughs> and it comes with like a 3D ship that you build. Um, like, like on the board, a lot of like cardboard, uh, it just, it, it looks amazing. I'm sure it goes for a lot of money on eBay, but, um, once I found out about that, I was like, that sounds really cool. The other two I knew, uh, Fortress America, which was essentially Red Dawn, the board game. Yes. Uh, yep. I remember um, the name, never played it, but yes, I do remember yeah. that. Um, and I did play that one a little, but the one I played a bunch and I actually bought the remake when it came out when I was in college, they they had to, I think they lost the name of it, so they had to rename it Samurai Swords. But initially in 1986, it was called Shogun. I, okay, uh, yeah, I remember it. Didn't have it. Was uh, that was I remember seeing it in the store. Yeah, Shogun is a really really good game, and I I, I enjoyed the um the remake which came out in the 90s. Uh, again, it was called Samurai Swords. It, it's a, it's a lot like Risk or those where you're trying to take over territories, but it's in Japan. But it had really cool mechanics where, and it came with I think it had D12s, which was which was okay. really interesting. Um, but it had a thing where you could bid every turn to hire a ninja to assassinate I, like I head, remember this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. To take out like the the damios of the of your opponents. Um, Wait, I think I did play this because now that you mention it, I think. Well, we here's. Here's what you will probably remember most when I tell you this part of it. In mm. order to determine player order, you drew plastic samurai swords, and they were they they had numbers on them, and that's yes. how you knew who played. Oh my them. god! Well, there was a memory lane explosion. <laughs> I actually remember where I first played that now, and it wasn't mine. I it, I think again Andrew Durkin because his older brother or Steve Kutcher because they had older brothers may have had that and brought that over and i think that's where i first became accustomed to or acquainted rather with playing with that yeah yeah so the, yeah those were those Amazing. were really good games really good games um uh there's, there's some other step staples we can we can talk about but were there were there some others that you wanted to hit on yeah i mean i have uh three again these kind of all revolve around military strategy but this is a kind of slightly non-standard board game battleship oh yeah yeah, that's, that was... definitely was one that I had in the household. I had the original, the original version back in the '80s, not the digital one where you get the noises and everything. I always wanted that. I never had. I that. I did too. The commercials really upsold that way more than they should have, and yeah, it probably it's sucks. annoying. It's annoying I didn't have that one because you know the board lit up, you get noises when oh you stole my battleship. It's you know more right. impressive, but that game was definitely one that I enjoyed playing um, because yeah, you you are basically have to strategically place your pegged various ships that are different levels and point strategies on a small board. If you're facing your opponent, um, kind of like if you were putting two laptops together and you have to place them <laughs> on the board and that you have to call out coordinates, which I thought was awesome because you're, you're getting basically what they actually do in the military. You know, get when you, when you have someone dropping mortars on a location or you have a plane that's dropping, you know, uh, a sortie on a, a specific target, you have to call out coordinates. And that's basically what the game revolved around is placing your ship, ships strategically, not together, but maybe sometimes together to try to outwit your opponent and sink yeah. his ship before he sinks yours, before the, the, the token term of getting the crown jewel of the fleet, you sunk my battleship. So that one <laughs> – right. That one was a game that I played quite a bit, and then it ended up just kind of making its way upstairs as did a lot of the board games as the evolution of other more um, interesting games came out. 
Um, another more obscure game that I played. Can I, can I touch on Battleship real quick? Yes, please. So that was one that one thing that I loved about Battleship, and I played that a lot with my mom, was that um, you didn't have to sit at the table for that one. Like we could sit across the room uh, yes. in a couch or a chair and just have it in your lap. Um, right. That one holds up because I bought that uh, when my kids were little, and um, you know they they played it a decent amount. Um, and it's it's good because it I think it's a good. Um, learning type of game because it, it right. you, deductive reasoning and things like mm-hmm. that are all included. So that's a, yeah. I, that's a solid, uh, that's a solid game that I hope, I hope is always around because I think it's, um, you know, it's obviously not crazy depth strategy wise, but it, there's, right. there's some thinking involved in that game. And right. I, I really like that. So. Right. And kind of tying into that, you had to really think the placement of ships. Do you bulk, do you bunch them together? How far do you spread them apart? And each, I don't remember if it was some ships had three, to sink it, some had four. Yeah, uh, there was, the destroyer only had two. I would always okay. try and hide the destroyer all by itself. Right, to get it as far away from <laughs> as possible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah, how do you group them? Do you, I would make like, oh, I'll make a T here, or I make I, a really long one here, and then right, it gets confusing. Yeah. Right, no, but the, like I think you said, you know, the, the proximity. I remember always playing it in too close proximity, but the way you said it, you could conceivably play that across the room yeah. from someone as long as your 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 uh your board, your your pegboard is basically not in their sight lines. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh yeah, what was your next one? Uh the other one was um which which is and I had to do a little more research on this because I remember playing it and then forgot that I played it and then had forgotten the rules. Stratego. Yes, I was gonna mention Stratego. Stratego, which is also known in some categories is capture the flag, which is an actual game that you can play as kids right. in reality Outside, in the woods right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So Stratego was one that was one of the earlier ones that I remember being exposed to in my household, but not really playing it. But I just remember, you know, the, the pieces, remember the board and then, and then having done the research reading up about, you know, the, how to play the game and the certain ways because the, the the board or the classic board is basically a battlefield and you have all the respective red pieces and blue pieces. Each piece has a number on it, which determines how strong that particular piece is. There are bombs, uh, there are spies, there are I think generals, there are yep. standard soldiers. So there's a whole um, assortment of a in cavalry people. So the, the, and then there, on, on the on the battlefield itself, there are two huge craters that look like mortars basically from cannon fire that you can't go in. So you yep. have to be very careful of how you approach your uh, enemy to try to kind of capture their flag as well as, you know, protect your own, uh, uh, you know, uh, characters or, or, or pieces flag, yeah. with bombs and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a memory aspect to it as well, yes. because you reveal the pieces when they when they, you know, uh, fight and right. the higher one wins. So yeah. you can kind of remember where a higher uh, a higher number of pieces. Stratego was interesting for me because I always saw it as a kid and I was always interested, but I, I never had it, never played it, didn't know anybody that had it. But when when the Star Wars prequels came out, they launched a shitload of games for everything from Star Wars Risk, which was actually quite good. Um, That's what I was going to say. There are some Risk variants that are good, especially I can never remember the year, but it's like Risk 2310 or something. Uh That's a really good game. Um, But anyway, I picked up Star Wars Stratego, and that was my first time playing it. And, of course, you've got the high-powered ones like Vader and Yoda and stuff like that. You've got – instead of capturing the flag, it's like a lightsaber. Um, but um, but there are variants too, and I don't know if the original had variants, but there are variants in the Star Wars one. But I I had a ton of fun playing that with with my kids. My kids really liked that one. And again, it's a good learning type game because yeah. memory is super important and strategy is important in that game. Right. It's a it's a very simple game, but I think yep. it's um I I think it's a really good game. And it and the and I actually just watched uh, on Thursday night a YouTube video of how to play it and some of the strategies that you would in you know uh that you would follow and it is an intense little game and and, and that almost kind of connects to you know the game like the, the there was a i think it was a card game memory or concentration where you yeah. have to remember the certain pattern of order but you had to be careful of how you how you arrange your pieces certainly for this game and you also had to you know place your bombs accordingly you know bombs yeah. also signify 
okay, you it takes out one of your characters, but that also means is that bomb just randomly placed to kind of de- to deflect from where your where your flag or main piece is, or are you actually protecting something? So it, that was that was a real cool game, and I, I remember what drew me to it initially in the household was it was either it had very Napoleon esque styled. Art, art on the outside of the box yes. or, or War of 1812. They had like the tall hats. I, I felt like I was, you know, I related in part to Time Bandits because some of the characters and when they were in the Napoleon period had those long, tall hats and or the the, the kind of the, the tri-tip hats. And that's why I think I connected to that game and, and unfortunately didn't play it a ton. Um, but played it a little bit with my dad and maybe some cousins over the years. But then that, again, migrated to uh, uh, the the attic um, of lost games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, there's a, there's a couple others I want to talk about. No, there's definitely, a, again, staples that we'll probably just kind of gloss over real quick. Life, payday, ones yeah. like that. I mean, I think everybody pay, played those. They're not, nothing particularly outstanding about them. <laughs> one I wanted to, oh, Connect Four is another one too that everybody played. Yeah, 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 definitely one. Yeah, that's a great um, one. So here's one. I, um, I think it came out in the 60s initially. I think everybody either had this or you knew somebody that had it. I don't think anybody actually played this game. I think you just <laughs> set it up once and and did the thing, and then that was done. Mousetrap. Yeah. I don't think anybody played Mousetrap. You set up the Rube Goldberg machine, you let it run once, and you put it away. <laughs> right. And that's really funny you say that because I, I, I specifically remember Andy Little having this game. I think it either belonged to his sisters. I remember just – Setting it up as you described, we never played it. I don't know why the deter- why we were so deterred after it. It wasn't like you're climbing an Everest-style game, but it something about it just stopped. All right, let's rebox this up and put it back in the closet. <laughs> right, because that's the entire point of the game was to see the mousetrap thing go off. Yeah, so why right. bother to play the whole thing when you could? <laughs> yeah, I know. If you're going to go that far, you got to go the distance. But it seems like no one I, – and I agree with you. I don't think anyone went the distance to, to see that yeah. game to the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listeners, if you ever actually played Mousetrap, let us know because us know. Uh, we probably Jesus. don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Liars. <laughs> um, Operation, I think, is one everybody played. Um, oh, I, I need to mention um, – there's another one I want to ask you about too, That, uh, but, but, but before I forget, I don't want to forget because this is important to me. My mom, God bless her, a saint, would play the shittiest licensed games with me. I had – a Battlestar Galactica game that was literally, uh, you know, two to four players. You started with uh, the Viper spaceship yeah. in the in in one of the four corners. In the center of the board was like a Cylon something. Right. You had to like do a spinner or maybe it was dice. Go out there, collect this item which slid into the Viper thing, which it was kind of cool. It had a little thing that slid into it, and then go back to your corner. That was the entire game. <laughs> And my mom played that. She played um, – <laughs> there were two Star Wars ones. These were better. These were a little better because they had a card mechanic. But she played the Battle of the Ice Planet Hoth game with me and okay. Yoda the Jedi Master. Those right. were ones where there was a board that you went around, but you would pick up cards. It might be like, oh, Wampa Attack or whatever. Right. So, And I remember those had – I don't remember what the – it might have been just little cardboard stand-ups for the Yoda game. But I remember mm-hmm. very specifically the Hoth game had m- different colored little uh, Millennium Falcons. Um, you know, like yeah. red, blue, green, yellow. They were um, so. So, yeah, big thank you to my mom for being patient and playing those games, because I know those games probably sucked. But but, <laughs> but to me, being young, they were, you know, you right. get to do Star Wars stuff. Or it Battle it Star keeps Galactic. you engaged at a young age and keeps you from, you know, doing anything mischievous. Then so yeah. be she did her yeah. job. She did it well. <laughs> yeah. And I was an only child. So <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I definitely wanted to mention that before um, before I forgot because it's a big thanks to my mom. Uh, yeah. And, of course, there were 80s things that came out that were very tied to 80s crazes. There were Pac-Man games. Yeah. Hubert. Um, I remember having the Pac-Man card game, which was really kind of a math game. Um, uh, and there's there's one other thing I, I do want to mention, but um, there's a game that I, I wanted to ask you about, and thankfully I – hit on it just by putting a few of the right words in Google because I could not remember what it was called. But it always looked amazing. I think maybe I had a friend that had it like one time when I stayed there. But do you remember one called Stay Alive? Um, It was like a grid with marbles. Okay. You should Google it because it's it's like it's a a grid and um, 
you put marbles on it, and then on the opposite sides are white slider pegs, and then on the on the other side, you know, the the other for the other player are red slider pegs, and almost like a Jenga or pickup sticks or one of those type of sticks, yeah, <laughs> you you decide which of the levers you're gonna pull, and when you pull they like slide and it makes holes in the grid and a marble drops through. So you want your opponent's marbles to drop through before yours. I do remember this now. Yes, I did yeah. play it. It wasn't mine, but yes. Now, as you, as you describe it, I'm actually reliving the last time I played it 35 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think I had a buddy that had it like maybe one time I went to somebody's house and played it, um, but it was one that I always wanted because it always looked and I remember it had a very distinct commercial too. Um, but, I remember the commercial as well, yeah. But that one was one that, and and thankfully, like I said, thank thank you know, thankfully Google was able to figure out what I meant. I put like like marble sliding Good, strategy yeah. survival game or something. Bless, bless the keyword uh, option to get us as close to what we need. <laughs> yeah, it looks like they make a new version of it, which is kind of interesting, like in a smaller, looks like a smaller right. grid. But but anyway, that was one I wanted to, to talk about because yeah. it, um, it interested me because I just remember being captivated by it as a kid and, and like almost maybe getting to play it once or something. Right. Um, yeah, I have like two others I wanted to mention, but what, what else have you got? Um, one, and this is kind of, and I'll attach a neat little story to it. Um, in my, my, my folks and I, we did quite a bit of camping around Maine, uh, as a kid, my folks even, I was lucky enough to travel to the Virgin Islands many times with my folks as a kid and in through my high school years, but obviously, and kind of like what you mentioned earlier, you know, certain games were good travel games and, yeah. and those types are good to engage you because, you know, the lot, oftentimes the flights or the drives are quite long. But one of the ones that I got exposed to and, and the neat little story behind it is um, is this game called it was actually called Reversi, even though the game is actually called Othello now. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. So the Reversi game, um, my dad used to get these camping catalogs that would have. They were like the, the predecessors to like um, REI and LLB and all those ones of camping goods. But it was all in a black and white catalog, and they would have all these really practical knickknacks that you would use for camping. could be a stove that folds on itself. It was really neat stuff, but they also had a little mini travel game section. So my dad ended up – and this was, I think, a, eventually a stocking stuffer for me, which ended up making many trips, was the uh, Reversi game. Um, but it was also you could you it doubled as a checkers game. So on on the board itself, I think it's 64 pieces for the reversey, and then you would use probably a third of those for on the other side of the game board, which folded out. It was it wasn't magnetic, but it they were kind of sticky. The, the the game board oh, was sticky okay. on both sides. Um, oh, so you, almost like color forms. Remember color forms? Yes, almost like yeah, exactly. Almost like color forms. Yeah, that's okay. exactly what it's like. And you could do one side would be the reverse Othello game, and then the other side could be the checker. So you and the boards uh. were roughly the same, and it folded up neatly into like a little box. The pieces themselves were not actually gaming pieces. They were like you said, the color form ones that would stick to it. So you the wouldn't static cling type thing. Static yeah. cling to it. Yeah. And I what I loved about that I, I've never learned to play chess, which I, I think is a fault because that is a you know the premier strategy game. But checkers I loved because it was simple, it was fast, you could navigate. But the uh, Othello game, reversey game, my dad taught me how to play, and I, that was one of those unique things I remember sitting under our um, Coleman lantern uh, in the Virgin Islands, and at night, and some of the bugs are flying around, and we have we have the game board out and he showed me how to play and the the basic ethos is you have each person has 32 pieces you put them down on the board and you the whole point is to try to end up with your color more so on the board so if you get three pieces if you have a black white white piece you can put a your piece depending on what color you are and if you put it at the end of that line or a vertical horizontal however any of those pieces that are in that line basically turn to your color so you could basically have Okay. A black on one end, two whites. You place your black one, so those four now are all black. You flip them over. So, and you go until the board is no more spaces, basically. So there is strategy. There is some sort of, um, you know, critical thinking of how am I going to try to maximize every time I put one of these down. And I think all the pieces that you had to put down had to be. You couldn't just randomly put one um, off to the side. They all had to be touching at some point. So you may get some turns where you don't even get to reverse 
the piece that you're that you're of your opponent's piece, but you run the risk of like you you have to look where along that line or the shape that you're creating of how to place the piece so to minimize their amount of flips uh, to get more colors, but also their their large flip can end up being a, a even better flip for you when you put yours down. So there was a lot of that. So th- that was one of the premier travel games, you know, in addition to, I think, Uno, um, you know, oh, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a travel card game, which is another board style without a board style game that sure, made, sure. made many trips. And I still play Uno to this day. And I think I'm actually going to try to find the reverse Othello game and, and get some people to play that with me. <laughs> well, Othello is one I remember seeing, but I never knew what it was or how it yeah. played. But it, it sounds it sounds cool. It's good. I mean, it's it's it, it's one that there's definitely a time limit on. It's not like a risk game that you're going to have eight hours, but there's definitely plotting and planning on the board because you do eventually run out of space, and sometimes you will be putting a piece down where you will not be able to flip the opponent's color to your to your favor. So nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, so it's funny. I, I put in Google like for an image search. I put in 80s board games, and uh, a lot of the stuff we talked about is obviously coming up. There's a great picture of the the Star Wars games I mentioned, the Yoda oh. and the Ice Planet uh, Hoth one. Um, there's also like uh, Perfection, which I remember doing. Perfection seemed like one where you, it's not even a board game, obviously, but you. I just remember playing that one, and um, uh, there were a couple others that I was like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember that. Like, uh, uh, oh, I. Shout out to Chinese checkers. My my grandmother yes. taught me how to play yep. Chinese checkers, which is uh, which is a really good game. Um, but <laughs> here's one that I never had. I didn't know anybody that that did. I think they still make it. But do you remember Guess Who? I do remember. Did not have it. Yes, <laughs> I didn't either. And it seems like more of a younger kids game. It's sure. like you know, yeah. you, with the little pictures that flip up, and you have to guess which person it is. But right. um, the pictures kill me because it feels like if like one of your first questions was, does your person look like a pedophile? Then you could just like <laughs> knock down like half the board. <laughs> Modern and relevant. Yeah, there's, there's some creepy ass looking people on this. Right, I think funny. you were supposed to ask more stuff like, does your, you know, does your person have a mustache? But Right, right, right. But I'm looking at the pictures and I was like, I was like this looks like a lineup. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, that was one I never played. Um, this guy deal weed in your neighborhood? Yes. <laughs> right. yeah. oh, okay. know, and man. drive a van. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, shit. Here's one. Uh, crossbows and catapults. Oh, yep. Played it. Again, not, not a board game technically, but man, I remember wanting those as a kid. And they redid these when my kids were young and I bought them because I was like – because they came with miniatures and stuff. Yes, and so totally did. Yep. Yeah, so I bought those, but um, yeah, that was a good, that was a decent one. Again, not too in depth, but cool, just the same. Yeah. Oh shit! I keep seeing more that. <laughs> I know. It's like, what? What? This? what? What? I remember here's this. one. Here's one I had as a kid, and then wanted it as an adult, and purchased it, and played it with my kids, and I think I think we still have it. Is a uh, Star Wars Battle at the Sarlacc Pit game? Okay. Do you remember that? I do so you, not. Maybe we talked about it on the Star Wars episode. I can't remember. but So it came in a regular box, but it had all yep. these cardboard pieces where you assembled the Sarlacc pit and the skiff. And it okay. came with like um, Han, Luke, Chewie, and Leia mm-hmm. and like a bunch of Gamorrean guards and then yep. like Boba Fett and maybe one other like more, you know, more than just like a, a you know, um, pawn type of guy and then Jabba. Right. And you had to make your way across the skiff to Jabba. And when you defeated them, the the bad guys, you knocked them into the pit, and they went down into this hole. And oh, cool. it's it's <laughs> it was, like production design. It was yeah. a really really well done game. And it was one that, like I said, I had as a kid. I loved it, and I bought it as an adult because I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta have that. So yeah, so we played it. Oh, there's Othello too. I see Othello yeah. now. Um, Othello reminds me a lot of Go. I don't know if you've ever played Go. I remember it, but don't recall playing it, but probably did. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's all the Avalon Hill, like the yeah. shelf game. Those are great. Um, so the other, um, there are two more that I wanted to mention. One, yeah. again, doesn't really fall in the board game category, and this is something I did not know exist until I was an adult, and I went out and purchased it. Um, I subsequently sold it because it was worth quite a bit, but do you have any knowledge of the Dungeons & Dragons computer labyrinth game? Vaguely. So so it's like a black... It was really well designed. It's like a black square with like a castle outline. In the center is like a red um, electronic grid, and it came with these little red um, walls, 
and the game was randomly programmed so that you would push like a square. It was like doing a dungeon crawl. You would okay. push a square and it would make a noise and what type of noise it was determined like, oh, there's a wall there. So you put this red piece down and you built the dungeon as you went. Oh, oh. And when there were monsters like a dragon or something, it, it made that noise like a dragon, you know, it'd be like an electronic like rah, 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 you know, type right. of thing. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but it was 1980. That was so far ahead of its time. Um, yeah, it totally was. But I bought it as an adult because um, I had never heard of it. And I was like, I have to have this. Um, so just something really cool. That's very and, cool. Yeah. And the last one I want to mention is something I didn't play as a kid. Came out in 1989 and really started my journey toward more board games. I, yeah, I think it was 89. Uh, definitely in the 80s. But it was um, uh, Hero Quest. Okay. And yeah, so, you know, 89, yeah. we, what were we then? We're like 16, you know, or so in, in um, yeah, in 89. So it, I probably felt like it was uh, – because I definitely remember seeing the, you know, in the um, – the ads in the comic books and stuff for it and thinking, sure. oh, this looks cool. But I probably thought I was a little too old for it. But um, but again, played that as an adult in the 90s, uh, played with some buddies. You you outgrow it pretty quickly because it's kind of limited. There's only X amount of quests to do. Right. But it was like the first game that I played that was like attempting to mimic a dungeon crawl yeah, in that... board game f- uh, form and um, led to Advanced Hero Quest, where Milton Bradley teamed up with Games Workshop, and then eventually Warhammer Quest, which is a phenomenal game uh, that Games Workshop did that is one of my all-time favorites. And I played – when my kids were a little younger, we played a campaign that ended abruptly when all all, all three of us were killed. <laughs> um, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> yeah, but on my birthday a couple weeks ago, my family was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want all four of us. I made my wife play too. I was like, I want all four of us to play an adventure in uh, um, Hero Quest. And oh. uh, we all got killed. <laughs> it was in the bo- it was in the boss room, but we, hey, yeah, listen, we just Ian, a family that plays together dies <laughs> together. <laughs> but um, but that just opened up a whole world for me of of games like this, and I and there were a ton that were made that were like it that I had no knowledge of. There's one called Dark World that um that I subsequently bought that has like all these 3D rooms that you put together. Oh, nice. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of things like that. Um, uh, Battle Masters, which was essentially a board game style you know, more like a, more like a traditional Warhammer type game. Right. Um, so yeah, it just kind of opened things up for me. I, I just, yeah. it's so, and I, I still own several copies, um, of hero quest cause it's, it's one of my favorite games and it has kind of a nostalgia thing, um, you know, for me. So, um, that was, that was the last of the ones that I, I, I mean, I might come up with more as I'm looking through the pictures here, but were there some others you wanted to talk about? Yeah, those, I think, I mean, I hit everything that I wanted to talk about that actually, we're not going to talk about Boggle, even though that was an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, the Boggle's one of those that, and and again, those that falls in there. I feel like there were some that we had it's at like school. a non-standard board game. <laughs> yeah, it, there were some that you had at school because they had a. You could argue they had a bit of a an educational. Razzle was one that I remember. Do you remember Razzle? Yeah, I do remember, but I don't remember how to play it though. So so it's like dice on a um. There's like six dice or something that all have <laughs> letters on them, and okay. there's like a red um plastic thing that goes around the dice and then you slide it back and forth on this plastic grid that has little nubs on it and the nubs like rattle the dice and then you try and make words out of wherever it you know okay yeah yeah, yeah i right. just remember having that one at school um but um yeah i mean there's you know and there's tons of other ones that i don't even remember maybe i maybe because i was playing the star wars stuff but i never played Candyland or shoots and ladders I, I never did any of those i didn't own those but i remember friends because they had sisters having the kind of the more I, w- I would turn them now girlyish cheesy ones <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe that's what it is maybe i did feel like they maybe especially candy lane maybe i maybe yeah. i felt wasn't wasn't particularly interested in um but um yeah i'm just looking through here i don't really see anything else i mean again there's other standards that we didn't talk much about like payday and and, and sorry and i think um you know i think everybody played those but um yeah, no, I th- I think we I think we kind of hit all the ones that, oh, that I was interested. In. This was a this was this was a good day. I mean this, <laughs> I I mean that's what I love about this program is because whenever we deep dive into things, it it opens my memory banks of things that I've not forgotten, but just I haven't thought about in oh nights. yeah 
decades. decades. And yeah. it takes you literally right back to distinct moments in time in my life, as I'm sure it does with you, where we were, what we were doing, who we were playing with, yep. to reconnect with that. And, and this discussion that we've had today, and I'm actually going to go out and pursue a few of these games that have long since not been in my immediate circle and bring them back in and, and get some people out here to, in San Diego to play them with them because it is one of those moments where it's like I had enough good memories playing them that why can't I do that again now later right. in life? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would definitely, we talked a little before we started recording about where the board game industry is now and it's it's yeah. become massive so much so that you go into Target or Walmart and you see European style board games that you never would have seen, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Sure. Uh, and I think that's great. There's some there's some great games out there. Um, the European style games are super fun. They tend to not have dice um, and and be less luck based and more strategy based uh, and, you know, and point scoring. And, and for anybody that is interested in a European style game that still has a theme to it, I highly recommend the Dungeons and Dragons game called Lords of Waterdeep. It is a uh, a very European style where you it's called worker a worker placement style where you have you know these little people they call them meeples and you you know you have the the D&D one is great because like my my in-laws play it and they don't you don't have to tell them that the little purple cubes are wizards and they have to go to the wizard's tower to recruit them they're just purple cubes you know they so you have a you have a quest it might be like oh you know defeat um you know defeat an uprising or you know slay this beholder and you right. need two rogues you know a warrior and a wizard for this and you send your 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 agents and you place them here and it's like oh i place them here at the you know the field of glory and i get two warriors so very thematic if you like D D. But also just a really good uh, example of a European style game, and uh, just in a very fun game. That's that may be like as an adult, the board game I've played the most is Lords of Waterdeep. I've probably played that That's game great. 50, 60 times. It's um, awesome. yeah, it's a great game. I would highly recommend that. But um, but yeah, there's there's the the board game industry is huge right now. There's there's the European style. There's the kind of what they call Ameritrash, which are the games that have a ton of like minis and cool figures and, and cards and stuff. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games does some great ones like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're not a board gamer, just kind of taking a look at what's out there because there's way more than you can even imagine. Awesome. So Well, thank you, Brad. That was fun as always. Always. Always a pleasure, my brother. This was so good today. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I have a feeling we're both going to spend some money on eBay now after some of these. Yep. <laughs> having, spent, having been researching on eBay, I'm like, oh, my God, do I really – it's going to be that want versus need. Oh, yeah, I want it and need it. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, I thank you for your time as always, and uh, thank you to the listeners. We'll come back again. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. we got some ideas. we definitely got some more movies we're going to do a deep dive on, but uh, we, we have kind of something fun that um, is a little a little different type of topic, but I think – fits perfectly in what we do on the podcast so we'll uh we'll come back soon hopefully next month and uh yeah again apologies for the delay we uh i know we took a month off but we're um you know we're we're back on schedule now so uh thank you to my co-host brad as always and uh thanks to the listeners for checking out ego again we will be back very soon until then we just want to remind you never start a war on two fronts Listening to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page to ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.